Thanks very much, Luke. Thanks for having me, guys. It's so cool to be back in here with you. It's probably been a little while since I've been here, but I have been here, which is really cool. And um, like Luke was saying, that Christy and I, Christy says hello. The plan was for the whole family to come. So I'm um, father to three girls, husband to one wife, which is probably the right order. If you get it the other way around, that'd be just tiring, to be honest. Um, and so, yeah, so we've got three girls. Amelia, who is turning 13 on the 19th of this month, which is really cool. Uh, Liv, who's nine, and Harper, our youngest, who's four and a half, which is an official age in her mind. So if you say you're almost five, she says, no, I am four and a half, naturally. So um, it's been great. It's, it's really, really cool. And so our two eldest were at sync camp as well. Um, so what the guys were sharing about and what Matt was saying. So it was such a really great time for that. So the, the plan was the girls were all going to come, they're all going to have a great time, hang out with you guys, we're all going to be together as one big happy family, but instead, uh, two of them are crook at home, not being Christy, so Christy's at home holding the fort down, and then Mia's just started singing at church, um, which is pretty, pretty cool, it's weird to see a kid sing at church when you feel like you should still be the kid at church, um, which is crazy. So as Luke was saying, Christy and I are the pastors at C3 Thoreau. I've been going to that church since I was 12, 13 years of age, so I remember when the church was getting ready to launch Central Church and all those years ago and the, the highs and the lows of everything in between because it's life, isn't it, you know? And the beauty of life is that you meet people uh, and for Christian and I, like Luke and Cara, have been such a great sense of support, love, unconditional love, friendship, wisdom, all of those good things. So you guys are like super blessed to have these guys as your pastors and that's not just to blow smoke as you're meant to do when you go and speak somewhere that's legit <laughs> it's true it's really really true and there's just uh, like being here I just felt during worship and when um, sharing together uh, thanksgiving and good stuff to God I'm just feeling comfortable I feel like I'm at home while I'm away from home if that makes sense and for me that's something that's special because sometimes you can walk into a church and it can feel icy and it can feel cold you can feel like oh, I'm not fitting in straight away because here I just feel really really relaxed I was saying to Soph before how have I come to church I'm like I've come nervous I'm like I don't think I've got anything really good to say but I'm also really excited just to hang out because uh, I'm an extrovert by nature so I'll be happy for us just to hang and talk but I'll say some things and then we can hang out after. What do you reckon? That sound, sound okay? Um, Carol was just sharing with me um, just when we've been emailing about tonight uh, how you guys have been looking at Jesus throughout 2018, which I think you can't go wrong, can you? If you're going to look at anything, it's like the perfect answer for everything, isn't it, in Scripture? Jesus, yeah, that's right. And um, I just think it's been so beautiful that you've been really beholding Jesus and looking to Jesus. Uh, and so this evening in the time that we've got together, I'd love to just share um, around Jesus, which is a good start, um, but Jesus being the good shepherd, and what does that mean for us? Because look, I don't want it to be um, one of those things where it's like, oh, wow, Jesus is a shepherd, so what? What does that mean for me in my life? I don't really understand what a shepherd even does, so how does it apply to me for Jesus to be a shepherd? And to know that he is not only a shepherd, but a good shepherd, uh, hopefully we'll unpack that together tonight, and um, there'll be a real sense of just the significance of Christ's role as a shepherd in each of our lives, hey, which would be cool. So we'll see what happens. Would it be cool? Why don't we pray uh, and then we'll jump into the word together. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your great love. I thank you that you're so present with us and that we can be with you and can be with each other. So Holy Spirit, I ask that as you're here, you would bring the word alive to us. We don't want to simply gather information. We want to be changed. We do want to be transformed. 
And I ask that this evening you would shift us just a little bit to be more like Christ than when we first came. And we acknowledge that you can do this and that Jesus, you are the one that we need to look to. And we choose to look to you this evening. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Hey, so if you've got a Bible, why don't you pull it out? Or if it's on your phone, feel free to load it up. Uh, I'm sure it will slip up on the screen as well, which is always helpful. We're going to jump into uh, Luke and the 10th chapter. And John, oh, sorry, not Luke, John. Let's not go into Luke at all. Let's go to John. Oren's like, what are you talking about, Tiger? We're going to jump into John chapter 10. Um, and we're going to read from verse 10. Now, John chapter 10 and verse 10 is probably one of my most favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible um, because I love how um, overt it is. It is so explicit in what Christ is saying. He clearly lays out for us his plan for our lives, and he clearly lays out the enemy's plan for our lives. There's no gray area in this, which I really, really love. Hey, And so in John chapter 10, we're going to read a couple of verses here. And as I said, Christ is speaking. John 10, verse 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then he goes on in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. In verse 13. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Again, Christ repeats, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Such a powerful passage of scripture, hey? Something about that that I, I really, really love. I, I, something in it resonates with me. In verse 15, it goes on and he says, Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. Now, I must be honest, I often think um, there's something with my mind, that, the way that it works, in that when I consider like Jesus being a shepherd, I, I for some reason think of this really like soft, gentle, enrobed person. You know what I mean? Like with the pantene hair and just like gently walking around the sheep and maybe brushing one on the ear. And do you know what I mean? Like I imagine his skin is like milky soft, you know, like almost to the point of, oh, this doesn't seem right. You know, I, I think of him like this soft shepherd, to be honest, because I have no idea of what a shepherd would have been like in the ancient Near East. But if we consider for a moment the environment in which a shepherd of that day would have had to not only survive but to thrive, you've really got to mash together Crocodile Dundee, Steve Irwin and Bear Grylls. And if you kind of mash them together, put them in the physique of a strong Arab man, that is what a shepherd's going to be like. And so for me, I need to instantly break a mindset that thinks of, oh, Jesus, that's so lovely that you're a good shepherd, and realize, hang on, this is actually a powerful position for Christ to take in my life. There's an author of a book that's called, and I love the phrasing of this book, Slugging Along in the Path of Righteousness. Who could have... Yeah, I resonate with that phrase totally. A guy by the name of uh, Dale Davis, and I just wanted to read this quote to us this evening that he says when considering Christ. He says, I plead with you, not to allow those who only want to speak of a Jesus meek and mild to rob you of the manly, virile comfort of having a God who is mighty in battle. 
Jesus, the King of glory, will come as a warrior at the last. And thankfully, how often he also comes in the midst of our current troubles to bash to bits the fetters of the enemy and to take up the cudgels for his weary and crushed people. You have no solace if the king of glory is a wimp who reeks of hand cream. Love that phrase. (laughs) You only have solace if he is your defender in the thick of battle. And what a beautiful picture of Jesus that is. Not to try to make it some kind of uh, stereotyping of Rambo Christ, but considering the truth that, man, Jesus is strong, hey? And that the life of the shepherd in the Near East, the ancient Near East, was one that was hard. Consider the way in which David says, hey, you know, as a shepherd boy, I've defeated both the bear and the lion. Now, coming from someone who can be, you know, slightly startled to the point of maybe squealing a little bit if a stray dog comes towards me that I don't know, or a person who still doesn't trust cats, no matter how many times people say, oh, no, just pat it. I'm waiting for it to go to town on my face with its claws. David, in an almost nonchalant way, says, yeah, as a shepherd, yeah, of course, I beat the lion, I beat the bear. How amazing that role would have been. So Jesus says, hey, I am a good shepherd. Can we begin this evening by considering just how strong and powerful our Jesus is in our lives? He is a good shepherd. Why? Because he lays his life down for us. No matter what life might be looking like for you right now, no matter whether it's awesome or it's ordinary, it's average or it's ugly, we can hold to this truth that Christ has laid his life down for each of us. And that in that truth, we don't need to question or wonder, is it based on my performance? Like today, is he going to lay? Like, is he happy? All of these things that can so easily consume our thinking and our mindset about our relationship with him, we can just hold to that truth. He's a good shepherd. He lays his life down for his sheep. He goes on and explains in that passage in John that, you know, a hireling, someone that's been hired to look after the sheep, when there's a sign of trouble, they bail. But if we consider the life of Christ, which I know you guys have been all year, and you consider those moments throughout the Gospels where he could have so easily pulled the pin, to be honest. He could have said, yep, I'm done. But he could have acted like a hireling. The moment in Gethsemane as he's in the garden and he's like, Lord, take this cup from me. But then goes on and says, not my will, but your will be done. The mock trial that he has to go through. Maybe even the moment as he's about to be arrested and he's saying to the guys, look, you might be lobbing off ears, champ, but if you realize that at this moment, I could so easily call down the host of heaven's angels to get me out of this spot. He says, hang on a second, realize this, guys. No one takes my life from me. I give it. I give it freely because of my love for you. He is a good shepherd, isn't he? Such a good shepherd. And Psalm 23, for me, reflects so beautifully what it is for a good shepherd to be involved in our lives. So if you've got your Bible, as we're reading through, let's just jump over to Psalm 23 together. It says this, Psalm 23 in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Look, it's a beautiful psalm, isn't it? It's probably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in the world. And now here is the danger about that fact. Have you ever had uh, maybe family or friends visit from out of town or even more like from, uh, say, out of the country and they come and you start thinking, hey, where, where can I take them, you know? And so like where we live is a pretty epic part of the world, isn't it? So you might take them to Bald Hill, you know, looking out over the coastline. Maybe you'll go down to Kiama to the blowhole if there's a bit of swell around. Or you might even go up to Sydney, hey, do the big trip into the big smoke. And then you might show, you know, you'll show them the Harbour Bridge. You might show them the Opera House, stroll down through the rocks. And as they are oaring, like ooing and ahhing at everything, you're kind of thinking, well, this is what I think. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just the Harbour Bridge. Oh, it's just the opera house, like it wasn't only that long ago, they had the horse races on it. You're like looking through the rocks and you're thinking, oh, it never used to be this busy 10 years ago. And you can just have a sense of familiarity with it, can't you? That which once caused a sense of great awe is just familiar now. I know we uh, took our kids, we were down at Kiama. Um, just a couple of uh, months ago for a family holiday and we took the kids to the blowhole and the kids had never seen the blowhole before, which is clearly how bad we are as parents and <laughs> more than happy for you to sign up to the parenting seminar after tonight. And um, they were just like, oh, like they were doing the legit oh sounds and our littlest one, Harper, who thinks she's like a videographer or something, she's always grabbing my phone and she's filming the, you know, filming the blowhole, trying to time it. We even tried to get a selfie with it, like buzzing around, which was very awkward for about 10 minutes and the people behind us were frustrated because they wanted their shot and I was just realising, man, this is pretty epic, isn't it? Like when you go up to the Blue Mountains and you're looking at the Three Sisters and then down the valley and you're like, this is pretty epic. But my familiar part of me goes, well, I remember getting to walk across to the Three Sisters and they don't let you do that now and this is kind of pretty ordinary. See, when you get familiar with something, it loses its impact. And that for me is the danger of this passage, that I can know it and read it, but it's lost its impact in my life. You see, Psalm 23 is more than a bookmark that you get at Kurong or a cross-stitch that you give to Nana at Christmas. Psalm 23 is a powerful revelation of the life of the shepherd, of God as our shepherd, of Christ as our shepherd. And so I'd love us just to unpack some elements of this passage that really I find are applicable for each of us, hey. So that it goes from, Brendan, that's really lovely that Jesus is a shepherd, but what does that mean on Tuesday, Arvo, when I'm in the crib room and there's this bloke just having another dig at me about my faith? Like, where is the shepherd then? And I understand those kind of questions. I want to know that what I'm reading in Scripture is applicable for my life and will help me, not in the moment of the now, which is always epic, but in the moment when I'm down the week, when it's Wednesday or it's Friday night, or it's Saturday Arvo, or worse still, Monday morning, getting back into school term. Where are the uniforms? Where are the lunch boxes? Oh, you didn't unpack that now. I've got a science experiment happening in there. All of those moments, there's no bread, there's no milk, there's no fuel. Praise the Lord. In those moments, I want to know, what does it mean for Christ to be my shepherd? Hey, 
And so this is what I wanted to kind of jump into, a couple of things. Let's consider uh, a few chunks of this passage of Scripture. The first one being the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now there's instantly a tension within, within me that says, that sounds really awesome, but I can instantly think of things where I'm lacking in my life. Do you know what I mean? The truth of it is that I hold a tension in there saying, all right, God, as my shepherd, I should be able to say, all right, I lack nothing. But I already know and feel the pressure of situations in my life where I'm feeling a lack. What I really believe this element speaks to us about is a a fundental, which is not a word. (laughs) That's fundamental and a foundation together, a fundental. Uh, (laughs) A fundamental shift within us that takes place. It's a shift that goes from a mentality of, Brendan, you have got to look after yourself. You have got to provide for your family. You are the one that needs to keep it together, to have it together, to have it on the table, to have the answers. You, you, you. And it replaces that with a, God's going to do that for me. Now, does that mean that I have a a lazy, laissez-faire, apathetic approach to my faith? Well, hopefully not. Hopefully it means that I'm engaged in a way that says, God, I'm going to believe that even though I'm facing a struggle or a trial right now, maybe there is a lack in my world right now, I still fundamentally believe that because Jesus is a good shepherd, I am going to lack nothing. That you are going to be my source. And that's beyond just a lip service idea, but it's got to be a deep conviction change. You know what I mean? Right in our gut. And there is a struggle in that, and there is a tension in that, and there is a wrestling in that, hey, truthfully there is and there are some times when you're like oh i'm nailing it of course god you've got it sorted and there's other times where you're like flip god if you do not pull your finger out and have a red hot go in a minute i'm about to lose it all but fundamentally i've got to believe that jesus as a good shepherd means that i am going to lack nothing he refreshes my soul i don't think there's ever been a time in history where a phrase like that is more applicable We've never existed in a time where we have more access to information but have never been more harassed or harangued. I really do believe it. We consider the way that even Christ himself and the pace of his life due to technology was a different pace to ours. He was walking from location to location, whereas we now are driving or flying or catching boats. If you catch a boat, I believe you board a boat and you catch planes, but that's okay. Maybe we're doing a little sneaky tandem cycling. I know what we're going on about. But the thing is, in all of that, there is a ratcheting up of the pace of life, which we can't just go, hey, let's just buy some land down in Bury and just have chooks and we'll be sweet and it'll be the rest of it. We're all good. We'll just sell cookies on the side and we'll all be a commune together, which, hey, could be a great idea. And that's on after the parenting seminar if you do want to hang around. But There's a truth that we are called still to engage with our world, but at an internal pace that's different to the external culture we live in. So the promise of Christ saying he will refresh our souls, come on, man. If you hear that for the first time and you are just feeling the pressure of life, that is like like gold, that is like liquid, that's like white chocolate, that is awesome. 
I remember this is just random, 2009, played for the Third Rock Shamrocks. We won the grand final that year, and if you're a Vikings fan here, I feel sorry for you. And so the beauty of that was we had this front row with us, and he said, mate, you know what winning a grand final is like? It's like drinking white chocolate. And so in my mind, <laughs> that's why I say a random thing like white chocolate. I felt like I had to explain it to you all. <clears throat> but to know that Christ as a good shepherd will restore our souls, man, that is like the rain that has been coming lately, hey? To know that that's a promise that Jesus has for us, that puts me in good stead, just knowing he's like that. And that that's his desire towards me and it's his desire towards you. He wants to refresh your soul. And there's a whole, whole sermon in that and unpacking what that looks like. But I want to encourage you in the truth. That is a posture that Jesus as a good shepherd takes towards you. He will lead you beside quiet waters and he will refresh your soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Isn't that encouraging to know that Christ will actually lead you in the right paths? Oftentimes we can find, and I've thought of this as well in my own life, in the, the limited experience I've got in life, but I've been at those crossroad moments, or decisions about life, and I want to be in God's will, which is a lovely intent to have, but what does that actually mean? And sometimes we can be frozen in fear of taking the wrong step, that we take no step, and we're stuck. But know this, Jesus is a good shepherd. He'll actually lead us down right paths. It's beautiful. His intent is not to lead us down the garden path and then have a giggle at us when we've realized we're in the wrong spot. Not at all. He leads us down the right paths. Why? Because our life lived for Christ actually brings glory to God. So for his name's sake, he leads us down the right paths. It's a promise of a good, of a good shepherd. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, David writes here, and man, did David have some dark valleys, hey? He says, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And then he writes this, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, they talk in, um, there's these two fancy words that get used, and I just want to say it so it sounds like I know what I'm talking about, but those that know me, you know, this is all a joke. I'm not, I don't really know it, but there's two words that they love to use in, um, in Bible world, <clears throat> that de- the Bible world, whatever that is, that, um, that explain two elements of God, two big picture ideas of God. They talk about transcendence and imminence. Now, transcendence is this cool word that you would never use in a conversation with your nana, and if you do, pull your head in, please. Transcendence is this word that means that God is so big, huge, powerful, When scripture says that when God's speaking and he says, hey, my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. When God dialogues with Job and says, mate, were you there when I literally laid the foundations of the earth? And I love the rhetorical humor of God in this conversation because obviously he wasn't. Were you there when I set the beasts of the ocean into life? Like you weren't there, champion. My ways are well beyond you. When God considers the earth his footstool and literally rolled out the stars like a sheet at creation, that speaks of his transcendence. And now I don't know about you, but I want a God who is transcendent. I want a God who is big and who is powerful and is mighty. I don't want a God that I've got to prop up every Wednesday afternoon when he falls off the TV. Oh, come on, God, up you get again. I don't want to have to dust off my God. I want my God to be powerful. But then there's this other idea which is just as important. 
the imminence of God. It means he is close to us. And you, you get one and you get, don't get the other. You either get an impotent close God or a distant powerful God. But when you hold on to both of those, you've got a powerful God who is close to you. How good is that? Scripture tells us that Christ in John and the message translation, oh, just got a microphone up my butt. Um, in John, the message translation, it says that God, that Christ, sorry, literally moved into the neighborhood. When it says in John chapter 1 that the word was at the beginning and in the beginning was the word and all that kind of stuff that you guys might know, he moved into the neighborhood. Jesus came close. That when scripture says that God knows the very hairs on our head and whether that's an increasing or a decreasing number, he knows it, which is really cool. And I'm coming to that horrible realization in my own life. <clears throat> and I'm just like, man, God is close. You see, the rod and the staff of the shepherd were used for both protection and correction. Protection from animals around that would try and attack the flock and correction for when the sheep would start to wander off. And I love that, that encouragement, Al, about, hey, that God loves us so much that he disciplines us. That is a beautiful truth that we need to embrace. And you can neither protect or correct as a shepherd with a staff and a rod from a distance. Both protection and correction need proximity. And that's what the shepherd is. He is close to the sheep. What an encouragement for us tonight to know that Jesus, as the good shepherd, is close to us. Hey, that is so good to know, isn't it? It says that he anoints our head with oil. We're almost through it. We're doing so well, guys. Love it. Anoints our head with oil. Now, what I really love about this image is um, that some Jewish writers consider this element and those of the ancient Near East that they literally would rub oil on the head of a sheep because it would help the sheep when they were coming along and butting into each other. It would actually help them limit the injury to each other. Now, who knows that sometimes in our relationships with each other, they can get a little clunky, can't they? They can get a little bit like a little dodgy old daddo and they're really just, just grinding through the gears a little bit. But the beauty of this promise from Jesus is that he anoints our head with oil. Now, we're not going to walk around right now and get out the old, you know, the old virgin, extra virgin olive oil and have a go at each other. Or maybe it's some nutseed oil or some really cool hippie thing that I don't even know about. But it is a picture in scripture often of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Oil in scripture is often a picture of the Holy Spirit. And as we know in Acts, Jesus says this, hey, it is better that I go so that he can come, that the Holy Spirit can be present with each and every single one of us. That's a pretty big call, that the Son of God, who has risen from the dead, has had an amazing ministry of impact, says, I better go, so that the Holy Spirit can come. And that Holy Spirit, his presence in our life, is not only power for us, but it is actually oil that helps all of us work together, get along together. He is the oil in our relationships. He is the smoothening out of things. He is the ability to help us extend grace to each other. Hey, And that's the promise that Jesus has as a good shepherd because he cares for us individually and he cares for us corporately. He doesn't want us to be islands that are like, no, nope, I'm walled up, see us later, I'll do my thing with God and that's it. Not at all. We are called the body of Christ. We are his bride and he doesn't want a disunified, disorganized, angry bride, man, he's pumped for one that is together looking to him. Beautiful, beautiful promise. 
And how about this, finally considering. David finishes and he says this as such a beautiful phrase in verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Two things here, hey. A life that is following Christ, that sees him as our good shepherd, leaves behind it a wake of love. It leaves behind it a wake of goodness. Just like a boat out in the ocean leaves a wake behind it. That's what's left behind our lives as we've been following Jesus. And then David pins it together with that beautiful picture. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We've got the beautiful, beautiful hope of heaven to come. It's an anchor, as Scripture says, that draws us onwards to know that even in the midst of this life, even in the good, the bad, the ugly, and the average, there is still heaven to come. And heaven to come is not some kind of ethereal, ideal kind of thing. It's a reality that helps to ground us in the midst of this life, knowing, man, do you know what? Sure, I might have faced injustice in my life. Sure, I might be going through a situation, I'm like, God, this is so unfair. But we can trust in a God who is just, who says that one day all things will be called to account. Everything one day will make sense. And that that picture of heaven to come, where there are no more tears, there's no more sadness, there's no more angst, there is the completion of everything. Man, that is good. That's not a story to help kids get to sleep at night. That is a biblical truth. And I've never told my kids that actually is a story to get to sleep at night, but I might start it. Second point of the parenting seminar, hang around. That as a good shepherd, Jesus not only cares for our life now, but he cares for our life to come. And he prepares both of them. He leads us now and prepares heaven for us. And so I just want to encourage us in that, hey, Jesus is a good shepherd. He's such a good shepherd. And if your experience of Christ as a good shepherd maybe has been uh, marked by a past experience or understanding of that, maybe your idea of Jesus as a good shepherd has been one of you just trying really hard to be an awesome sheep for him. Look, I'm at the front of the flock again, Jesus, you know, and oh, I'm, I'm really drinking my water really well and oh, I don't have any dags on me today, Jesus. Whatever that could be. Oh, gosh. I just want to say tonight that, hey, let go of the strain and let go of the struggle and let him be your good shepherd. Let him be your good shepherd. Let him be your good shepherd. My final illustration was, um, if you've ever been to a gym, which, you know, I've driven past from time to time, you'd, uh, you'd know how when you go and work out, you might have someone with you and they're like your spotter. So they kind of spot the weight for you. So you might be bench pressing or you're doing a shoulder press. And so someone might be behind you. They're there to try and help you with the weight. So if you get to the point where, you know, you're doing the shakes and you're thinking, come on bicep. And it's like, I've gone on holidays. You're dreaming. <clears throat> that spotter will help lift the weight for you. And my view of my idea of Jesus as my good shepherd was this. I'm the one there and I'm lifting all the weights. And every now and then Jesus might come in and lift a little bit for me. And I'm like, oh, thanks for the spot, Jesus. And I'll just keep going. But here's the truth of the situation. I am like a three-year-old kid going down to fitness first, picking up 50 kilo dumbbells and trying to lift them. I've got nothing. Jesus is not only my spotter, he's literally lifting the weight for me. And that suddenly lets go of all the pressure on me. 
That suddenly lets me realize, hang on a second, it's not just about all what I have to try to do. It's about what he's done for me and what he's doing through me. And when I can realize that, I can embrace him as a good shepherd. And I can say, take me, lead me. I'm trusting in you. Protect me, correct me. I'm glad that you are near. I believe that, Lord God, I'm not going to lack anything. And where I am, I trust that you will work it out. And if it's not finished, it's not finished. That you've still got something in store for me, Lord, because you are a good shepherd. So, should we pray together? What do you want to do? Would you like to do that, Luke? Pray? Should we do that? Does that sound cool? I just think that reality is really important for us to grab. Because it goes from being a Sunday school colour in Shepherd Jesus to, man, you actually mean something in my life in a powerful way. Um, and so, should I just pass to you instead of rambling? Or <laughs> I'm just going to pass to Luke because I feel like I'm at rambling point and that's no good. It's good, hey? It's really cool. I, um, I think there's, there's so, like, there would be something for each of us in, in that. There's so much there. So it'd be good just, maybe we can just um, grab the person next to us and let's pray for each other and let's... Let that oil be greasing us together. So, um, so maybe there's something that, yeah, that that really kind of grabbed a hold of you. Maybe just share that with the person next to you, and you can pray for each other. Maybe it's that need to have your soul refreshed, or maybe it's that idea of God as the transcendent and the imminent. It's just such a beautiful picture. Um, but whatever it is, yeah, just let's just pray and, and bless each other. Thanks so much, Brenda.